It is the morning after the night before <laughs> my production of Twelfth Night at Cincinnati Shakespeare Company opened last night to a massive standing ovation. And what made it even more special is that my wife, Dee Ryan, came down from Chicago to see it, her second Twelfth Night in three days, and... Our friend Elizabeth Dennehy flew out from California to see um, uh, my, my production of Twelfth Night. And you hadn't seen two in three days, but you just directed your own production of Twelfth Night. So I guess we'll just, let's ask, just figure out in the first couple of seconds here, who has seen the most Twelfth Nights of the three of us? I'm sure. Uh, probably me. I've yeah. seen a lot, a lot, a lot of Twelfth Nights. And I'm seeing it Sunday with my niece at NYU playing viola. Goddamn. You win. You win. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, number 682, Comparing Twelfth Nights. Twelfth Night. It is January 6th, 2020, and because it's Twelfth Night, I want to share with you for this first podcast of the new year a conversation I had way back in November of 2018, roughly 14 months ago, the morning after my production of Twelfth Night opened at the Cincinnati Shakespeare Company. As I mentioned in the intro, my wife Dee Ryan and I were joined by our old friend Elizabeth Dennehy, who had just directed her own production of Twelfth Night at the Los Angeles County High School for the Arts and who's probably seen more productions of this play than anyone I know. So it was still with an opening night buzz that we began to, to compare our productions and talk about how this wonderful comedy can be interpreted in so many different ways. Elizabeth, you and I, uh, you and I were uh, texting each other all fall yes. because your production was you were doing it with high school kids. High school kids, yeah. And 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 what were the challenges for you, or what were what, what were the lessons you learned? Uh, is or let me ask this. Is the lesson you learned that the minute the show closed, you went, oh, now I know how to do this, and yeah. let's do it again? I, I wish I had had another week. Yeah. If I'd had an, I think every director says that. Right. If I could have had another week in the, in the theater. Yeah. An arts high school, we're all fighting over this one theater, the right. dance department, the music department. Yep. And because of that, I didn't, we didn't get into the theater until the Monday before our opening on Friday. So Friday night, the opening was really our third yeah. full dress run through. So with another week, I think we would have been able to fix a lot more things. Uh, partly our biggest challenge was adapting from a small rehearsal space into this enormous mm. theater, 44 foot wide yeah. edifice yeah. that we um, didn't were yeah. prepared to work with. I also think that um, now I'd never directed before. This is my first time directing a whole play. Right. And the transitions between scenes are as important as the scenes. And I needed, needed to have incorporated the, them into the show more so that when we got upstairs, I didn't have to solve that problem. Well, the, the, yes. The, the, I didn't want more rehearsals, but I wish we, I, we'd had more previews here in Cincinnati. Mm. I, we had two pre public previews and an invited dress. Um, and then we open, and then we open, have opening night. And all I like the 
previews because you learn, oh, this is funny, this isn't funny, this doesn't land as well as it should land, I need to fix the staging of this or timing of that or change this move to that or something. Things you learn in front of yeah. an audience, but you don't. Um, so I, I, would, I would always wish for kind of a longer preview period. Oh, yeah, but, always. But you say, you, say you, you, this is your first directing you know, job, gig, but, but you've been a professional actress for many, many years, and, and you come by your knowledge of Twelfth Night, honestly, your father, <laughs> the famous comic actor, um, <laughs> Brian Dennehy, played Sir Toby Belch in Twelfth Night Up at Stratford in a wonderful, beautiful, wonderful, beautiful production. production. Um, so did, did, you, did you learn from, you must have learned from all these other productions that you've seen, including that one. Oh, we stole liberally. <laughs> we stole so much. Uh, everything that I, that worked on the stage uh, was something stolen from another production. Yeah. The music inspired my, you know, I'm working sure. with 15 and 16 year olds. Yeah. So there's an, a production that I saw. Did you see the Jeffrey Rush, that Australian one oh, no. that was done in the eighties? Yeah. There was a lot of funny stuff oh, in, in that, yeah. you know, every time you see it, you see somebody do a new take on it. And I think that's the beautiful thing about Shakespeare and that keeps it so intriguing is all you have is the text. So you are so free yeah. to imbue it with whatever you want to do. Like yeah. for instance, in our show, one of the things that, um, was very, very popular was Antonio and Aguchi going off together at mm-hmm. the end. Mm-hmm. And at our school, I knew that that was going to be very popular because it's an arts high school where people are very interested in, in gender bending mm-hmm. and people loving people regardless of gender. Yeah. So that got rapturous applause. Yeah. And, and you can do your own takes. So Absolutely. it's just... It's so you can. It allows you to be so inventive. Well, and, and the, creative. Yes, and the the thing I like about seeing other productions too is, for me, it's a lot of oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want that. I don't want a tragic. I don't want a tragic Twelfth Night. For, yeah. It's not as we were talking last night. Twelfth Night is not called the tragedy of Malvolio. <laughs> and I've seen productions that lean into that. And and also I've seen productions of all of many of the Shakespeare comedies that somehow mistake comedy for melancholy. Mm-hmm. And comedy is raucous and laugh and out laughing out loud, not smiling wistfully going, "Oh, yes, that's funny." You know, it's not ennui. Um so that was one thing I wanted to avoid. I think for a long time it was it, it was perceived that the the romantic characters were romantic and not funny, yeah. but Olivia and Orsino are hilarious. Yeah, yeah. They're so deluded, yeah, yeah. and when and I think Viola pierces this world and makes them all face their truths and their yeah. authentic selves, and that's very very funny when the disguises all drop. Well, and one of the great pleasures of of, of this of, of my production was I was thrilled with my Olivia played by Abby Lee, who is a much more physical Olivia. And, fu- and physical comedy Olivia than I ever would have anticipated being able to have. Um, so she just threw herself into these scenes with Viola. I mean, literally. And she's dragged across the floor at one point. And it's very funny, very hysterical. And, um, um, uh, oh, and, and Abby is also our, the fight captain for the production. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's a really good uh, um, instructor. That's hilarious. Yeah. That's great. Who would, who would think that yeah. your sweet little Olivia was the fight captain? Oh. Well, it was the fight captain. Now I wish she was in a fight. 
<laughs> well, right. She she brandishes the sword at the end That's of the right. fight. And yeah, I love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and the other thing from that that great production in Stratford that your dad was in, uh, the, Michael Roth's music oh. in that was so good. And I went, well, there's the benchmark. That's that's the best score for Twelfth Night you'll ever have. And then I worked here in Cincinnati with Carrie Davenport, who played Curio and wrote the amazing music for our production. This banjo, guitar, inflected settings of Come Away Death and Mistress Mine. You know what he reminded me of? I, for, I just realized this. You know, in uh, Once, the yeah, movie yeah. Once, he reminded me of the guy who sings Gold. Yeah, okay. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Uh, just, it was gorgeous. Well, and there was another, that's funny that you mentioned that, because when, when the producing artistic director, Brian Phillips of Cincinnati Shakes, saw the set and saw the saloon bar on stage, he said, wait, they sell drinks on stage at the bar in Once... We could sell drinks at the bar. Double bill. <laughs> Double bill. <laughs> and so uh, Jeremy Dubin, who plays Fabian, who in our production is also um, uh, the Illyria bartender, the Orsino's Court bartender, um, um, he serves just shots uh, uh, before the show and at intermission. Um, um, Speaking of things that you always wanted to see fixed. Yeah. Uh, every time I saw Twelfth Night, it always bothered me that Mariah comes up with the genius idea of writing the letter, yeah. pretending to be Olivia, and then some dude called Fabian shows up <laughs> and gets to watch Malvolio find the letter. Yeah. And I said, if I ever direct Twelfth Night, I'm doing away with that. And we so we cut Fabian completely, oh, yeah. and Mariah got to hang up in the balcony with Aguchik and uh, Toby and and see the spoils of her wonderful idea. And then Festy, our Festy, took all the Fabian lines about the duel and everything okay. later on. Oh, that's and cool. it worked out really, really well. And, yeah. and the woman who played the girl, 15-year-old girl, played Mariah, <laughs> loved it. Loved being a sure. part. They, they got to... It was a triumph for her, yeah. for her character. Sure. That I, she pulled off this great idea. Well, and you can see the romance develop more between her and Toby mm -hmm. in those moments. Yeah. Um, which you, the respect so, for her. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, D. Ryan, you came down, uh, the, you drove down here to Cincinnati from Chicago the morning after seeing the production of, of Twelfth Night at Ryder's Theater. Can you talk about the differences between the two productions or what you saw in that one that wasn't in this one or something? Well, there was, it's actually a very beautiful, it's very much a romantic oh, yeah. Twelfth Night. And they use the rain and thunder as mm. sort of a romantic device. Right. And I thought that was very interesting and, yeah. and very worthwhile. Yeah. Well, you, well, yeah, we were talking about that. It's, it starts with rain. The rain, it rain, raineth every day. There's a tempest, the storm. Oh, you, you, you said the music. The they, they actually had their Orsino's, the music he hears is a storm above him, is the storm. Mm. Uh, that's the music he hears, that's and he's yelling at the clouds to stop. Yeah, he's a, a Lear-like or, uh, Orsino. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then it closes with a beautiful real rain, which... I love, which was very beautiful. Well, which is great because it accompanies the song "The Rain It Raineth Every yeah. Day," and and in fact, as you said, there's it, it's seasonal, it's cyclical. These things are cyclical. So yeah. we, there are storms, and there are love between the storms. Yeah, and isn't rain also every time there's rain? Rain is a is cleansing, is a new is is newness, right? Yeah. And when in uh, the illusions in movies, when there's rain, yeah. it's a uh, washing away mm -hmm. and. Uh, uh, a new new time yeah. coming, which is which is what's happening in the play as well. Well, and what, uh, and the other thing I love about that idea is that that gives 
a slightly happier ending to Malvolio, this idea that there will be renewal, there will be a new season. Orsino says, go and treat him to a piece, mm-hmm. um, and the rain will wash away what has just happened and turn us, and, and, and turn us into a new day, yeah. which I like. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's a classic story, right? Yeah. Uh, we've, we've, we have a change of status, and now we have yeah. a, a whole new status going yeah. on when we leave the play. Yeah. Um, I, and I thought that was beautiful. Yeah, I leaned, I leaned into the other lines in that final song, which are, but that's all one, our play is done, and we'll strive to please you every day. Mm-hmm. We are actors, you are audience members, we are all in this together. We have enjoyed this, we have enjoyed this time together and acting and uh, experiencing this story, and so that's what we leaned into for our dance. Country friends is this? This is Illyria, lady. Hi, I'm Brian Isaac Phillips, producing artistic director at the Cincinnati Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Where can you RSC the RSC? You can see Reduced Shakespeare in your own home by owning your very own copy of Pop-Up Shakespeare, written by me and Reed Martin and beautifully illustrated by Jenny Mazels. It's on sale worldwide, and you can find links to both Amazon and independent bookstores in the U.S. and the U.K. on our website. In the first half of 2020, we'll be performing the complete works of William Shakespeare Abridged Revised, Hamlet's Big Adventure, a prequel, and the complete history of comedy abridged in Pechoga, New York, Clinton Township, Michigan, Arcata, California, Washington, Pennsylvania, Reston, Virginia, Whitewater, Wisconsin, Batavia, Illinois, Lynchburg, Virginia, and then kick off the summer for two weeks at the Hartford Stage Company in Connecticut. As always, the very best way to stay up to date about all of our worldwide performance dates is to sign up for the reduced re- our email newsletter. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com and click on the link to subscribe and check out our touring page for specific box office, venue, and ticket information. Did you have a specific period that you set your production in? I was inspired by companies like like the Stratford one where yeah. they're sort of all over the place with periods, yeah, you know, yeah. and then the pizza guy comes in. We totally yeah. stole that. <laughs> and I think if you don't stick to a specific period, it gives you... it's. It's cheaper because yeah. you can wear sure. whatever, sure. whatever tells the story of the character. Um, but it it means that you can do absolutely anything. Yeah. You know, you can. I, I when I was thinking about the show over the summer, I was thinking Olivia in head to toe lace, and then as the story goes on, she lost her black lace cloak. Mm-hmm. And then there was like this cameo neck thing that came off. Her sleeves came off. So her dress became, it was the same dress, but she be, was exposing more and more flesh coming out of her shell oh, nice, as the nice, show goes nice. on. So I wanted the costumes and the set to reflect what was going on in, in the story. And I think if, you know, it's a, it's an easy way out to say it was cheaper, <laughs> but it actually gave us a lot more freedom, you know, to have the pizza guy deliver in the middle of the caterwauling scene is you know, just, you know, just really, really fun, especially for high school. The kids were just like, what? What right. is going on? Well, and, you know, and, and, and Shakespeare never once thought, um, oh, God, what period shall I set it in? You know, right. all of his productions were modern dress that pulled in every, every trick in the book, costumes, props, 
jokes, you know. Whatever so works. Whatever works. Whatever tells the story. Yeah. yeah, I think it's so funny when you read the scripts where you'll, you'll come against a, a, a joke or a line that is so colloquial and so outside of what you consider Shakespeare yeah. that you you stop yourself and you say, wait, is, yeah. is that in the script? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, like Westward Ho. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Violet tells Olivia Westward Ho, and in my sort of San Francisco Gold Rush setting, that line sticks out. Yeah, and yeah. I just thought like, oh, he must have added that, and you said no, it's in the script, mm-hmm. and you're just like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and no, no, the line that I added was after um, <laughs> after Ague Cheek, Sir Andrew um, does uh, says I have I do the have the back trick as good as any man in Illyria, and he does a moonwalk, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and then Toby goes, "Tis a walk of the moon," <laughs> you know. And that's and oh, in, that's not Shakespeare. That's, weirdly, that's not Shakespeare. Yeah. I changed some of the lines where he was talking about other dance steps. But we have to believe that if that we was, don't know what they did. If he was alive now, he would be doing that. It would be yeah. all about time. Yeah, right. yeah. He wouldn't have called it a caranto. Will Shakespeare would have said, they don't know what a Caranto is in 2018. Call it a walk of the moon. Yeah, but what about that whole fish, the the fish thing at the top of the show? What is it? He's got, he's got, he's eaten a, a fish. He's eaten, a, he's, he's got, indi- he, Toby has indigestion. Oh, p- oh pickled herring. Pickled herring. There's yeah. a pickled herring joke at the top of the show. <laughs> it is funny because we saw Oklahoma right. in, uh, in Oregon yeah. this year. Yeah. And there is a sort of Oklahoma-ness to your production especially. Yeah. But yeah, this right. idea of it's a brand it's a brand new day and brand we're new going, state. Yeah. yeah, it's a brand new state. Yeah. And great. Yeah. And so we go from this sort of chaos of death and misery and and Malvolios, Malfeasance uh-huh. and and we're which is much like Curly's. Yeah. And Judge. Judge, thank you. Yeah. And we're going to, you know, forget it and yeah. move on. Yeah. Right? Uh, but you know, unlike in Oklahoma, we don't just scrape it under the rug. And there's not a hidden knife. Uh, <laughs> there's no nobody falling on his knife. Uh, which is weird and I'm s i am think is a failure of your production. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, well, we were talking about too because uh, we just got uh, we just got a Valentine of a review from the Cincinnati League of Theaters for, uh, 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 yay! Uh, As goes the Cincinnati <laughs> League of, of Theaters. Theaters. So goes the People's Front of Judea. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but what? What? But I was when when I first started when we first got the idea of a saloon. Oh, maybe the saloon is in San Francisco. Oh, maybe during the Gold Rush. I googled. You know, sort of Gold Rush Twelfth Night or Cowboy Twelfth Night, Western Twelfth Night, and I didn't find a lot of. There weren't a lot of hits. I mean, I, there was like one production in Southern California in the '90s that said cow, it was Cowboy Twelfth Night, and they kind of leaned into all the cowboy jokes. They call, I think, they literally called Festy Festus mm-hmm. for from the confusion, yeah, from um, Gunsmoke. Um, um, and I didn't want to do it so we could do a lot of cowboy jokes. I just wanted a world in which. As you said, Elizabeth, there's a, 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 a food chain. Mm-hmm. There is status, and that seems to be very important in the play. Absolutely. I think that M- Malvolio, all he cares about is climb, status climbing. And yeah. remember, Olivia's father's died within the last yeah. year. Her brother's died. And Festi, 
goes off. So Malvolio is inching his way up the food chain and deluding himself into thinking that he can actually marry her. And that's where the prank is so funny because it plays on his ego and vanity. But you need to have, you need to have a food chain. You need, you you know, in order, people always talk about updating this play and I'm saying, but it has to be a world in which a girl is only safe if she disguises herself as a boy. So if you put it in in modern times, that's not really, it doesn't really work there. And a girl alone would have zero, she would have to be at the bottom of a food chain. Unless she's at a prep school and um, is has to join the soccer team as Amanda Bynes stated, she's the man. <laughs> That's right. Well, I, I did really love how you let us know that was her choice by showing us the mar- the barmaid. Yeah. Uh, mm. That was that was great because it is a weird, you know, she makes this choice that she's going to dress as a man. Yeah. And we, a modern audience, don't need her to dress as a man. But you showed us that there that the one woman in the room yeah. is is being used. Yeah, yeah. Is, is being used and she se- she sees that and makes the choice to, you know, protect her maidenhead. Yes, that's right. She sees her options laid yeah. out for her. That was very, very clever. Good. Yeah. I'm glad that landed. Um, well, and you're talking about the food chain and, and, and I thought one of the things that helped our Talk about backstory. Um, Olivia, she, baby, got backstory. Um, um, she, our idea was that she was brought out to the from the East Coast to San Francisco by her father mm-hmm. with her brother. Who, and then they both died. And now she is abandoned and isolated and has the care and burden of a drunk uncle and an uppity, officious butler. Um, and she has no one else. And I think Olivia's isolation is part of her problem, is part of the thing that makes Viola so attractive to her. And I've seen her, like, including the Stratford one with your dad, that was one where, where Olivia's kind of a socialite and she has a ton of friends and she's playing sports and she's got all these women friends. It's like, well, then what's her problem? I guess I don't, you know, is she only, is she doesn't have a boyfriend? That's her only problem? I, you know, so that was a kind of a thing I wanted to underline and, and I think avoid. in that production, too, they had Festy was in love with her. Right. So I think what they did was they heaped on Orsino's in love with her, Malvolio's in love with her, Festy's in love with her. And if you do that... Cesario is a safe harbor. Yeah. You know, she feels not threatened and feels safe. And yeah. in our production, you know, again, it was an arts high school. And because I think the, the, it's so easy and lazy to take Twelfth Night as a, a bunch of homophobic panic jokes. <laughs> you know, Orsino was right. like, oh, I can't possibly be in love with a boy. Yeah. And in our production, we, we were very interested in is Olivia and Cesario are comfortable with each other as people, as human beings. Yeah. Orsino and Viola, Orsino seeing Cesario, this boy, really is falling in love with that human being. Yeah, right. Despite the gender, whatever the gender is. And that's a great thing about the place that you can do that, that it's not just about the clothes that they're wearing. Oh, I couldn't possibly be in love with it. I was going to marry a girl. Ooh, horrors. That it's, they're comfortable with each other. And she finds this safe port in the storm, Olivia, with Cesario, somebody who doesn't want anything from her. yeah, and it's lovely when uh, in uh, I love our our the, my moment, and I didn't put it there. It was my actors figuring this out. My Olivia, you know, sees the twins and has the most wonderful line. But then he said, "You were engaged to a man and a maid," and she she just at, we added some text, but she said, 
Okay. 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 That's all right with me. Works for me. It works for me. Again, there's, there are productions I've seen that focus only on music and love. The famous first line of the show, and uh, but the first scene we see we hear of at least two people that have died or presumed to have died, and there's a lot of loss and separation, and I think that's the stuff that gives that uh, that gives a grounding to, to to the love and the frivolity, and for my money makes the comedy richer. Why is it named Twelfth Night? Yeah, this is your this is your uh, high this horse. Is my this is your high hobby. horse. Yeah, yeah. you what? directors who directed the play. Why is it named Twelfth Night? I think it was first performed at the Feast of the Epiphany, Blackfriars Theater. The so it's only named Twelfth Night because of the time it was first performed. Yeah, it's a, yeah. it has no connection to the play. Yeah, and, uh, and, and I say bogus. And, I, and 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 honestly, people they said, "Will, what are we going to call this play? I don't know. When are we performing on Twelfth Night? Good, call it that. Or what you will. Yeah. What what, what what's the what what should I call it for a subtitle? I don't care. What you will. Boom. There you go. There you go. That's how it was titled. But you have a bit. You have a different thought. Is this more related to the rain and the seasons? Uh, yeah, I I think it's Twelfth Night in the fact that the Twelfth Night is the end of Christmas, and that it's this sort of. It's also it's climbing out of the winter solstice. It's uh, it's coming out of darkness. Morning. It's uh, mm-hmm. and coming mm-hmm. out of morning. Mm-hmm. It's uh, and it's also like every Christmas. There's a little bit of hangover coming <laughs> over out of the hangover of the holidays. Mm-hmm. And actually, the holidays are very maudlin. I mean, as mm-hmm. much as they're joyful, yeah. they're also very sad. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's interesting that. You know, joy and sadness are are, are related are related to yeah. each other. Yeah, um, and that they're not. It's that you know, they're it's a high time and a quite low time. Yeah, it's not a middle of the ground time. It's not a it's not a status time. Yeah. So you're climbing out of that to a new, <laughs> more even place, or you're climbing out of that to the spring. Elizabeth, I can't wait to see Dee's production of Twelfth Night. No way. Yeah. No, I can't wait. We'll be there opening night. <laughs> Please. <laughs> That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. You can see Elizabeth Dennehy at our old stomping ground, the San Diego Repertory Theater, where she opens this week in Stephen Karam's Tony-winning play, The Humans. It runs until February 2nd, 2020, and you can get tickets by going to sdrep.org. Then send us your Twelfth Night thoughts via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can find us and interact with other fans on our dedicated podcast page on Facebook at RSE Podcast, on Instagram at Reduced Shakespeare Company, or on my preferred platform on Twitter at Reduced. You can also follow me on Twitter at Austin Titchener, and you can follow Elizabeth at Elizabeth Dennehy without the final Y. Thanks as always to fair young man Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and Garage Band, and also this week by Michael Roth and Des McEnough, whose music for the Stratford production of Twelfth Night you heard snippets of. You can find more of Michael's theater music at Roth Music with a K. .wixsite.com Our random fan shout out this week goes to Will Gibbons Brown. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Brian Isaac Phillips, producing artistic director of the Cincinnati Shakespeare Company, not only for the blurb, but for hiring me to direct Twelfth Night there. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. I'm Austin Titchener, 682 2046ths of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. What was your big takeaway? What was- you're the viola 
she didn't miss a single joke. Yeah. Everything was plumbed. Yeah. You know, just use, she used every new thought was funny, yeah. poignant. Uh, nothing went, just slid by. No. I loved her. Well, and that's one of those things. I don't know how you teach that. I mean, Caitlin just has that. Mm-hmm. You know, she just has that ability to make the text seem, you know, effortless, natural, second nature. And find and find all the jokes and find all the comedy and and all the heart. Her moment when she, when she she is reunited with Sebastian, the way Caitlin oh, does it, it brings me to tears every time. Beautiful, she's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. And you know, I'm I was directing 15 and 16 year olds, and they got a lot out of it. And if we had had another week, <laughs> but I think it's going to be one of those things. Think back when you're 15. Oh God. When they're 20, they'll go. Oh. Well, and that's like us directing it. You know, we'll yeah. ne- next time we'll be better. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company, reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. 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 So much less.